Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Last week, we were looking at uh, a passage where Philip the deacon had encountered the Ethiopian uh, eunuch, and guided by the Holy Spirit, they uh, connected, and God's Word through the Word of Isaiah 52 and 53 were shared, and that Ethiopian came to know God in a new and a fresh way in the person of Christ and asked to be baptized. And uh, it seemed like an appropriate passage to look at with the baptisms that we had last week. If you were with us last week, we had two baptisms right here, and how uh, wonderful that was, what a joy that was. And we're going to actually have a few baptisms in the, ba- in the passage that we have today. And we are going to look at an extended passage that has really three key conversations in it. And... Um, it, uh, there's kind of a, a thread that runs through it all that comes from the last person that um, interacts with Paul. Paul is kind of front and center in this, but the, this person, a jailer, asks, what must I do to be saved? And that idea shows up um, in each of the conversations, and we'll take a look at it through the, that idea, that question, what must I do to be saved? And so we're going to look at that, and it's an extended passage, and so I'm going to do things a little bit differently. Usually we read all the way through the passage, and then um, the, the kind of sermon starts there. I'm going to actually read and then pause and, um, and elaborate on that, and then kind of go back and forth there. So it's going to feel a little bit different, but we can do this, um, and um, we'll, we'll explore the passage in this way. So let's go ahead and turn to the passage. It comes from Acts chapter 16. Uh, Let's start to hear from God's Word for us today. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samorathes. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Let me pause there. What we have here are the the travelings of Paul and Silas and some of the people that are with them on this missionary trip. This is Acts 16, which comes after Acts 15. Acts 15 was the the first Jerusalem council. There was a dispute in the church, and they felt the need to settle some issues that were before the church. For example, do you have to be convert to be a Jew before you can be a Christian? And there was this wrestling with what it means to be a Christian and how inclusive was the gospel and how was God moving and acting in the midst of this. And the outcome, guided by the Holy Spirit, is that the gospel is inclusive and that you don't have to convert to Judaism or anything else, but that we are invited to come directly to Jesus. And, and connect with God in that way. And there, um, 
with that new permission, with that clarity of what God was doing through the person of Jesus, the gospel message was rolling out more and more. And so Paul and his companions were sent on a missionary trip, and they uh, went to a place that seemed right to them in their eyes. There was a family connection to the region that they went to, and so they went there. But Paul received a dream, a dream from God, which sometimes happened. We see this in biblical times. It can even happen today. But, some, but Paul received this vision of a Macedonian person. Uh, now, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but they must have had some traditional wear that kind of distinguished them as Macedonian. And this, the vision of this person was that they were beckoning Paul to come and bring the gospel to that place. And so that's exactly what Paul and his companions did, was traveled to Macedonia and to Philippi. Um, Philippi, this, this main city, and um, hence the, the account begins there. Let's continue and read a little bit more here. On the Sabbath, we went out to the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to, into her home or to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Let's pause there. So that vision of a Macedonian person, it, it's often thought that, that it was a man, but apparently here this first person is actually, it, it's a woman. It's Lydia. Lydia a woman who's the head of her household and a, a businesswoman that deals in purple cloth. And she is here with some other ladies down by the river on the day of the Sabbath, um, opening, uh, open to God's message, and they receive it via Paul. In, in what would be considered pagan cities, Jews who had been spread out all over the Mediterranean world would found synagogues if, you had, if they had at least 10 adult males above the age of 13. Um, we're not sure exactly what's going on here. Maybe they didn't have enough people to found a synagogue here. One had not been built. But in these types of cities, they would be built outside of the city gates, in some sense to stand apart. It's a place to worship and to connect with God and learn about God, but it wouldn't be necessarily in the city. And it would ideally be near water. Water because they would use water for purification, and having a body of water nearby made that easy. And so Paul, using his normal um, kind of method, his, his approach to sharing the gospel, he would go first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so he goes to where he thinks there might be a synagogue, there isn't, but encounters these ladies, and he goes ahead and he shares. And the passage there says that the Lord opened her heart to Paul's message. An amazing thing. What did she need to be saved 
She needed to be there to hear his message that the Lord might open up her heart. God moved in her as she was hearing the message. And I think that's a challenge for us that if we are curious, we can, be, we can pursue God's word that in hopes that he would open up our heart to receive Christ as well. And Lydia, having received grace, God's grace becomes gracious herself. This newfound faith manifests itself in a graciousness. She extends hospitality to Paul and his companions. Paul does normally not accept this kind of hospitality. He likes to pay for himself so that he, as the one bringing the gospel, does not become a burden to the people that he is bringing the gospel to. But in this case, Lydia seemed to press her case quite strongly, and she, it says kind of in the, in the language there that she prevailed against him. She, she convinced him to accept this. And Paul actually acknowledges this later in uh, a letter that he writes to the church that would be founded there, uh, the letter of Philippians. He acknowledges the hospitality that he received, this graciousness from someone who had received the grace of God. Might we too exhibit graciousness? We who have received God's grace extend that to others. Let's continue on in our passage. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, uh, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. That, and at that moment, the Spirit left her. Let's pause there. Now, culturally, this is part, the part of the passage that probably sounds the strangest to our ears. But what we seem to have here is that this slave girl is bound not once, but twice. She finds herself in a very difficult situation. She is a slave. She does not control herself economically. She does not have her own liberty. And so she is bound in that way. And then in a spiritual way, she is bound as well. And she has this spirit in her. It might seem strange to us, but these, these things seem to have happened in biblical times where she was troubled, and it caused her to predict the future. It would, people that did this, it was often through trances and uh, sometimes chemically induced, sometimes not. In our passage here, it actually says that she would shout shout out loud and follow Paul around. And she had continued this 
for uh, a number of days, it seems, and Paul had decided to not initially deal with it head on, but it became too much, and it perhaps became a hindrance to his work as a missionary to that place of bringing the gospel. That this person, while she might say perhaps some elements of truth, her testimony as one um, possessed by a spirit is not helpful. And this spirit, in the language, we can actually see it that it's, it's described as like a python spirit. Python as in the snake. It's a, it's a spirit that has an incredibly strong grip on her, like a python. And um, behind the language seems to be this idea that uh, quite possibly that there's a, a temple to Apollos in Philippi. And um, in Apollos, this god uh, talked about in, in that time had his story entwined with snakes and with pythons. And this slave girl was ensnared by this spirit that was described as a python. But she encounters Paul. And Paul, not by his work, not by anyone else's work, but in the name of Jesus, sets her free. And she is set free in a whole new and complete way. What did she need to be saved? She needed to experience Jesus, Jesus that not only opens up hearts like in the case of Lydia, but also cleanses us. And she was cleansed immediately and set free from the slavery that she had experienced. Let's continue the passage and see what the response was. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's pause there. Obviously, these slave owners were, did not have much concern for this slave woman. They were not interested in her liberation, um, in her cleansing. They were interested in their own vested interests in her abilities. And they reacted strongly. And this can happen. We see this not only in biblical times, but even today. When the gospel and the movements of Jesus come, they move in, a, um, in, a, in such a way that uh, it can come into conflict. The, um, when the gospel comes up around vested interests, including economic interests, there can be great conflict. 
happened in biblical times. It can happen here and now. And that's what happened. And there was this rush, this action that happens, and Paul and Silas were beat for it and went and locked up um, by the jailer in the inner cell in the stockades. Um, just a cultural note about the jailer. The jailer um, was probably ex-military or retired military, which was a, a common thing in that time. And just want you to know that, that the gospel is interacting with a variety of different people. To that end, let's continue to look at our passage here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, in uh, he and his whole household. Let's pause there. What Paul and Silas are doing does not make sense in the eyes of the world. They have been beaten um, unjustly. And they were locked up and in not just the jail, but the inner cell in the stockades, very much in a difficult situation. But they don't uh, look downcast. In fact, the, in the midst of this, with this captive audience of others around them, they are singing hymns of praise to God. And how is that possible? That people in such a dark situation, in such a, a, a physically painful situation, having been beaten, how can they give praise to God? It's possible because they are looking at it through Jesus' eyes. And Jesus had received the same treatment. And if Jesus is their Lord and Savior, and he received that kind of treatment, why should they expect anything better? If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for them. And so they give praises that they have, um, that they, uh, in, even in the midst of this, they have the joy, and they have um, the joy that comes from knowing Christ. And so this curious event of this earthquake and the doors coming open and the chains being loosened, and the jailer is afraid. Um, this person knows that there are consequences for um, losing those in your charge, and he considers taking his life, but Paul calls out. And the man is so, uh, so overwhelmed and, and senses that something is unique happening here, 
that something is going on. And so he asks that question, what must I do to be saved? And what is the answer that comes to him? Does Paul give him some big, long theological lecture? No. Does Paul give him a list of things that he must do and rules that he must follow, things to do and not do? Is that the answer, that it, what he needs to do to be saved? No, that's not it. Does uh, Paul tell him that he needs to give money that he might have the next level of enlightenment? No, it's not that. It's quite simply this. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It's that simple and that basic. Paul does unpack it a little bit. Did the jailer fully understand all that that meant? He seemed to be open to it. Perhaps like Lydia, his heart had been opened up to it. Paul seems to explain some more. But that's all it was, to believe in Jesus, that he might be saved. And so, um, as as an early Christian preacher said, Uh, about the jailer, that he was washed and washed, that he was um, washed clean by what Christ had done, and he also washed Paul and Silas where they had been injured, their stripes. He washed them clean. And he and his whole household are transformed, like Lydia. And like Lydia, who extended hospitality, the jailer also extends hospitality to others. He has received this grace that comes and that sets us free. It's an amazing truth. We see this not only in what we talk about here in the church, but we hear it even in other places like um, Alcoholics Anonymous and their 12-step program. Step number two is that the recognition that there is a higher power. We need help. We find ourselves enslaved and ensnared and in, under the penalty of death, but we can be set free by connecting to a higher power, that higher power of Jesus. And Jesus alone, we can be saved. Let's continue on here. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with their brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so, 
a turn of events, and it's a new day, and the magistrates have perhaps in cooler moments decided to go ahead and release Paul and Silas. But Paul points out that there has been an injustice. And Paul did not just seek immediate comfort for him and Silas and his companions. He could have just left and just moved on and, be, and have Philippi in his rear view mirror. But he didn't. He knew it was important for the church that had been, been formed in that place in Philippi. They needed to have a safe place to exist. And so uh, he made it clear that they had been unjust and that, that just persecuting Christians wasn't going to be the way of the day. And so he points out that he and Silas have Roman citizenship. And one of the privileges of Roman citizenship is that you cannot be beaten publicly in an embarrassing way, which Paul and Silas had when they were beaten with rods and stripped down to do so. And you're not allowed to be imprisoned without a trial. And both of these had happened. And so Paul points out the error of the magistrate's way. And so he says they need to come and escort him from the jail. There, there was no cable news, there was no internet at that time, but the people coming and being seen with Paul and Silas and escorting them out was a message that they had made a mistake. And so this public message was, uh, they, the magistrates acknowledged their mistake. They encouraged Paul and Silas, it seems, to move on, that it had been a difficult situation, and while they realized the error of their ways, that it might be hard to maintain safety for Paul and Silas. And so Paul and Silas, of their own free will, decide to move on, um, but they want to care for the church. And having stood up for their rights in the face of this injustice and this persecution, they comfort the church. They check in with Lydia and her household and those gathered there, this fledgling church, and they exhibit care and concern before they move on. I've taken the time to look at this passage and these three kind of conversations that happen here. It's a lot. I think it's like 40 verses. Uh, It's a long passage, but I think as we take it together, we can see that God is moving and acting in uh, amazing ways, in amazing ways throughout all of this and is drawing in more and more people. Remember, Acts 15 had that Jerusalem council, and there was this decision about how inclusive would the gospel be. And here, in the very next chapter, we are seeing that the gospel is being incredibly inclusive, that it's drawing all kinds of people together. In these biblical times, in the first century, there were those heads of household that would wake up each morning and say a prayer thankful that they are not an outsider, not a goy, that they are not a slave, and that they are not a woman. It's, uh, it, there's perhaps some cultural background on that prayer, but that is something that was prayed. And this passage flies in the face of that, because we have Lydia, and we have a slave girl, and we have this jailer, uh, uh, some, an outsider, a Gentile, all being brought in in a new way, experiencing salvation, experiencing freedom set forth. 
And I trust that as we allow God to move and, and act in the ways that he does, that he will act in surprising ways to us. And we might find ourselves shoulder to shoulder with people that we would perhaps not normally associate with. But God moves and acts in mysterious ways and is drawing all people to him. And he longs to have all people come to know him and to receive what we can in the person of Christ. And I think we can participate in that as Paul has, using our influence, using our relationships. Perhaps it's in bold ways, in in public proclamation, or perhaps it's like Lydia, in extending hospitality and grace. It can take on a variety of different forms. But as we lean into what Christ has for us, we will have the opportunity to participate in whole new ways. Might that be so today and the days ahead. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this passage and just the inclusiveness of the gospel that's exhibited here, how we are drawn into this, invited to be your children. Lord, we long to help share about the grace that we have received from you, that our relationship will be better with you as well as better with one another here in our church, in our community, and in the world. Help us to be your messengers and guide our steps, our feet, our hands. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.